Uh, and so I want to go ahead and jump into the Holy Bible, our word, our word for today. Our word for today is coming from uh, Leviticus, Leviticus, weird name, right? Leviticus, but Leviticus is like the fourth book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, is the third book in the new, in the Old Testament, sorry, third book in the Old Testament. Um, attributed to Moses. It's the part of the Mosaic law. And so we're going to go to Leviticus and we're going to go to chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Uh, I'm going to read about five or six verses to get a complete understanding for what I'm talking about. You'll probably need to read this whole chapter, but I'm just going to read this one piece, uh, this one piece, this one uh, segment, obviously, because we're limited in time. I'm going to try to get you out in an hour. That's the goal for these online experiences, to try to keep them close to an hour. Uh, and so I want to go ahead and jump into it. So Leviticus chapter 25, verses 8 through 13. Um, this is Moses relaying the word of the Lord to the people of Israel before they inhabit the land of Israel. And I know Israel is a hot topic and it's there's horrible, horrible things happening um, in that, that part of the world right now with the bombings and the death. Uh, and um, it's just, there's a lot that we, that we need to pray about, pray over as believers, our understanding of the historical conflict in the Middle East, um, our understanding of humanity, human dignity, um, peace and why our nation isn't leading in this peace effort and, and just get a clear picture of who we are as individuals, who we are as the church. And um, at all times, we should be hoping for the preservation of life because the longer the everyone on any side lives, the more opportunity they have to um, see the good news of Jesus Christ walked out in their lives. Um, and this violence, this killing, um, is unacceptable from, uh, the heart of a believer. I can't look at this and be like, yay. I look at the death and destruction. I look in terror and horror and wondering why, you know, and Lord help and, and all of these things. And so, um, I do, let me just take a moment and pray before I get into the word. Lord God, I want to thank you. I want to praise you uh, for all that you are, all that you do, Lord. You are a holy God, a loving God um, that is with us every step of the way, everywhere we are, Lord. Uh, we recognize your right and righteousness, Lord. We also recognize um, that in your infinite wisdom, you gave us choice. You gave us a will. You gave us the ability to choose and um, chart in many ways the path that we walk, Lord. We see that a path has been chosen of violence and not the violence we joke about and ha-ha and and, you know, metaphorical. No, this is very real. There are people um, dying in violent conflict, of course, all over the world. But what, it, what we are seeing so very clearly is an overly matched group of people um, being systematically exterminated, um, relocated, their land being destroyed and we don't see the whole story. We don't claim to know the whole story, but what we see is terror and horror. And we pray, our prayer goes out to the families, um, 
the children that are losing loved ones, the the culture that's being lost, the the history that's being erased, Lord, the the people that are struggling to reason why what is happening is transpiring, Lord. I pray. I pray for the decision makers to um, be moved by Holy Spirit to to lead the path to stopping the mass violence, Lord. I pray for those that are being impacted that you would preserve them and, and lead them and guide them in a way of restoration, Lord. Lord knows the devastation. Lord, you know the struggle that they're going through. And only you know and can comprehend. We, we can't. So, Lord, it's my prayer today for Israel, peace, Palestine, peace for your world for your peace that passes all understanding to impact, influence, and guide the decisions of those who in the world, leading the world systems, are literally, literally the ones who have keys of life and death in their hands. I pray for peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, um, so let me let me move into like my heart has just moved, um, and all we can do is pray. like literally this is a, all we can do is pray because we don't have the power. We can call Congress people, we can, but we can't stop the violence. So we pray um, and recognize the horror and the terror of what's going on. Um, and so I. I I can, I shift to the message, um, the message Leviticus chapter 25 verses eight through 13. Um, again, a God who's acutely aware of oppression and human nature and the way that, um, we as people handle things, um, is speaking to his chosen people, the old Testament people of Israel that he delivered out of, um, Egypt before they take the promised land. And here he speaks, Leviticus 25, 8 through 13, NIV version. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the un untended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. Everyone is to return to their own property. That is Leviticus 25, 8 through 13. And just as a recap, just as a review, I'm going to go to the text that's been our anchor text, which is from the book of Luke, which is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Who knew that 
The third book in each testament is starts with L. That's the kind of nerdy stuff that I enjoy finding out about. But Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Turning my pages. I thought I had it bookmarked, but I didn't. And so here we go. All right, Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, for today's purpose, verses 16 through 21. Because we already know it's Jesus talking we already know he's got the scroll of Isaiah. We already know it's six, chapter 61. Here we go. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All right. From this, from these two texts, what I'm going to teach and preach today is from a subject entitled the full cost, the full cost. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you and praise you. Open up our hearts, open up our minds so that the, the reality of your word, the, the truth and power of your word um, is inserted into us, refreshes, revigorates and reignites our passion for you, Lord. We need revival to be in us. We need revival to be through us. We need the revival to be us, Lord. I'm praying right now that you that revival would come, that we would begin to walk, talk, speak, think and act in a new way, new life new way. In Jesus' name, amen. The full cost, the full cost, the full cost, the full cost. When I read text and when I read the Bible and I try my best to read the Bible every day, I know it nurtures me. I know it is good for me. I know it's transformational. I know it's the word of God. Okay. I know it's the word of God. And so I try to read the Bible every single day. It's one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning. Um, I have the Bible, audio Bible playing when I'm taking my son to work. Um, I, I try to eat my word. I try to get that word in every day. Why? Because I know that God's ways and my ways are different. I know that God's thoughts and my thoughts are different. And if I can help it, what's going to happen is that my thoughts are going to line up more and more with his thoughts and my ways are going to line up more and more with his ways. But that's a challenge. It's not easy. It is a challenge. It's a real life, everyday challenge, multiple times a day challenge because God ain't focused like we focused. God ain't focused like we focused. God don't think like we think. God don't look at things the way we look at them. God doesn't call situations the way we call them. We look at the outside and judge people based on what we see or what we hear them say. But God, he looks on the inside. He looks at the heart of the person and the motives behind it. So what we see looks good. God could be saying as he looks through that person, oh, no, that's that's not good. What we look at and think looks bad because it's not attractive to us on the surface. God may be looking at that and saying, yo, that's that's good. That's actually the exact heart that I want someone to approach this thing with. 
You know, we think we need to know every detail. We think we need to have knowledge to control the scenario, the knowledge to control the narrative. And, and what God is saying is he wants us to trust him. Like you can have knowledge. Don't be dumb. Don't be a dummy. Don't be unread. Like read, study, pray. But at the end of the day, all the knowledge you get, all the strategy you get, I still want you to trust me. Those that wait upon the Lord renew their strength, not those that grind themselves into the dirt. They renew their strength. Those that wait upon the Lord, they'll mount up on wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Those are the people that are patiently allowing the Lord to lead, teach, and guide. And so we think we need to know it all. We think we need to be the initiators of everything. We think we got to have all the plans in place. What God is saying is, trust me. Before you plan, trust me. Before you run, trust me. Make sure at the root of it is me. You know, we think we need to be strong. Strong. We think we need to be strong. Right? I try to cover my arms so I won't shine it on y'all because I got like a little tricep, you know, formation happening there. Anyway, um, we think we need to be strong. We think we need to be strong. The strong one. People have all these terrible non-biblical phrases to, to justify like God gives his heaviest burdens to his strongest soldiers. No, he don't. That ain't Bible. Where is that in here? Or, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle or God won't give you more than you can bear. That Where is that in here? That, 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 it ain't there. These things are not true. We think we need to be strong, but God is clear multiple times. Christ is clear multiple times. The doctrine of the New Testament is clear multiple times that God is looking for the weak, that he is interacting with the weak, the meek, those that society looks down on because they don't have the strength to lift them up by their own bootstraps. God is saying, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what the Bible is teaching. That's what God is seeing. That's what God is saying. And that's why, you know, he, his ways and our ways, they're not the same. His focus ain't like our focus. We think he's with us because of our success. Like our success is evidence of God being with us. But he came for those in the struggle. He came for those that are at the bottom. He came for the oppressed. He came for the blind. He came for the poor. And so if the evidence of God's presence in your life is your success, then what is Jesus talking about when he says, I'm here and I'm anointed to preach this to these people, to the poor, to the blind? What, what, what's happening? What's happening is that we don't think like he think. What's happening is Love leans in. You don't need love to lean in. You got, you win. If you the winner, if you the strongest, you don't need God to lean in. You don't need love to lean in. You don't need all that because you already a winner. Well, God is, is a winning, a winner maker. He went to Gideon and said, you are a mighty man of God. You're a mighty warrior. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was weak. He was hiding. He was scared. He wasn't that. God made him that. But so many of us want to be self-made, want to be self-made that we, we, we just, we, we can't, we can't reconcile our thinking because with the Lord's, because we think we got to have a strength. We think we got to be on top. We think we got to be successful in order for the evidence of God's blessing to be there. But he's clearly saying that I've come for the ones that are not looking like the world standard of success. 
In fact, the, 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 the concept, the idea that I've come to understand is that those that are aware of what they lack are the ones that value, that most value his gift. The people that have the most clear understanding of where their shortcomings are, where their struggles are, where their weaknesses are, those are the ones who have the most value and appreciation to Christ for his everlasting love, for his salvation, for his forgiveness, for his resurrection, for his crucifixion, for him leaning in like the people that know that they need. And I'm a somebody, I'm a know that I need. I'm a one of them. I know that I need. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not always winning. I know I don't always have a proper focus. I know I need the Lord. And because I know I need the Lord, I'm one of these. I value the gift. And sometimes I don't value it enough. Because I'm successful in the world's eyes. I got the job. I got the promotion. I got the house. I got the wife. I got the kids. But still, like sometimes you just got to you got to dig deeper to understand your need. The, the more worldly success you have, the more deeply within yourself you need to dig to reveal the flawed, messed up stuff that is actually inside you that God redeems you from, that the Lord redeems you from. I mean, it's just a fact, a fact. People, I say it's a fact. My opinion says this is fact. That people who have the most success in the real world, in this world around us, the people that have the biggest houses, the most money, the best businesses, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times, those are the people that have the weakest faith. Those are the people that have the weakest faith because Many times these are people that are built on their own self-will and determination, not dependence on biblical Christianity. It's dependence on the Lord and it's dependence on others. It's just not that way. And so Christ is clear. The Lord is clear in his prophetic word to Isaiah that Jesus comes and says again and then says, boom, I'm here for this. He's clear that he comes for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. He's here for the ones that recognize that the world is unjust. He's here for the ones that recognize that the world is not fair. He's here for the ones that recognize that winning in money and winning in others is not really winning in the real life. He's here for the ones that recognize that the world is not enough, that you can have all the world, but what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul, right? You can gain the world. You can be Bezos. You can be Gates. And these cats are still getting divorced. And no, not, I don't know the circumstances or any of that stuff. I just know that if you could gain the world and it not cost you some soul, then these things should still, they should still be happily have everything. I, I, I see stars that have fame and money and, and influence and power end up in rehab or depressed. Or, uh, why? Because you can gain the world, but there's a price of your soul. He's here for the people that recognize the world is not enough. He's here. He's here for them. And what is he here to do? He's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what it says in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so he's here for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed to proclaim to them the year of the, the, year of the Lord's favor. He's here for them. Who's them? I'm them. 
Jesus, come for me. Come for me, Jesus. I want if if that's what I gotta be, if I'm if I gotta be poor, blind, oppressed, like if that's come for me, because I don't want Jesus, come for me. Be me. I'm one of them. If Christ's blood covers you, if God is enough, if Christ is your Lord, then this is you. You're not strong and overcoming all Christ did it. For you, through you, and in you, I'm them. I was them. We were they. We were they. We were they. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The book of Revelations calls people in the church. They think that they're well off. They think they're good. But what he's saying is you're wretched, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Your focus needs to be on him. Because he's come for all those people to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is literally saying, I'm here to sound the alarm. I'm here to blow the trumpet. It's Jubilee. Jubilee is here. What is Jubilee? <laughs> Jubilee is joy, celebration. Jubilee is the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of the Lord's favor. All the scholars I study, studied in preparation for the series, in preparation for this message, agree that the reference to the year of the Lord's favor is a reference to Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. And so that means Ernest had to go and look up and make sure I had a full understanding of Jubilee. And if I'm going to be a responsible teacher of the word, I got to make sure you have a firm understanding of Jubilee. And so I'm going to give you a, a, a ever so much of a taste um, in Leviticus chapter 25 of the year of Jubilee. And what does it mean? And so in Leviticus 25, verse eight, it says it says here first count off seven Sabbath years. Well, what is the Sabbath year? Sabbath year is the seventh year uh, because the people of Israel were supposed to farm and da da da, you know, work the land for six years. And on the seventh year, they were supposed to let the land rest. And so that was what God's plan for the nation of Israel was to be. And so count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years. So that seven Sabbath years amounts to a period of 49 years. So six years, Sabbath year, six years, Sabbath year, over and over and over again until it gets to 49 years. And then it says, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. The 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. And so uh, the year of Jubilee starts at the end of the year of the Sabbath year um, and says it's year 50 because the Sabbath year was year 49. This is year 50. And it starts with the day of atonement. It starts with the day of atonement. Now, um, some of us already know what this is, but I didn't know that the day of atonement was Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a is a... Jewish holiday um, that you see on your calendars, but you may not really know about it. But the Day of Atonement spoken of here is today celebrated as Yom Kippur. And so let's, I, I just went and I looked it up. I looked it up on a religious website because I wanted to give you a full definition of what the Day of Atonement really was. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this definition that I found and I can't remember the website. It may have been learnreligion.com or something like that, but I wanted something simple and straight to the point. And so I'm going to read this definition um, and then continue on. It says, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur is the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar 
In the Old Testament, the high priest made an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. The act of paying the penalty for sin brought reconciliation, a restored relationship. Does sound familiar? Between the people and God. And the blood sacrifice, the killing of the animal, the blood sacrifice was offered to the Lord. After the blood sacrifice was offered to the Lord, a goat was released into the wilderness to symbolically carry away the sins of the people. And this scapegoat, that was called the scapegoat, was never to return. The scapegoat carried away the sins of the people. The, the sacrifice brought atonement. The bloodshed brought atonement. And the sins of the people were carried away by a scapegoat. If that sounds familiar, it, it sounds familiar for a reason. We're going to get to that in a second. But I need you to understand when the year of Jubilee, atonement came first. Restoring the relationship between God and Israel came first. Restoring the relationship between the people of God and God himself was the first thing. Eliminating their sins, paying the penalty for their sins was the first piece of Jubilee. And so after that, after that, um, after the Day of Atonement, it says, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. So the next thing that happened after we deal with the Day of Atonement and atonement coming first is that liberty is proclaimed. Liberty is proclaimed. Freedom is proclaimed. Every citizen of Israel, every Israelite person that had become enslaved, meaning, you know, they couldn't pay their debts or whatever, for whatever reason, they sold themselves into slavery to another person of God, another person in Israel. Jubilee set them free. Jubilee was the year they were set free. Jubilee was the end of their slavery. Liberty was proclaimed. All slaves of Israel were to be set free to go back to their native home, to go back to where they came from. Well, what happened if, you know, you know, you've been a slave and something happened to your land? I got you right there. Uh, and if you continue, it says each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. And so when when what we're talking about here is that the land that was taken the land that you may have sold, who, however, it was no longer in its original family's hands. In the year of Jubilee, the land was restored back into it, the original clan, the original tribe's hands. The land was restored. All that had been lost was returned. We're talking about the land here. All that was lost had been returned. The land, in fact, belongs to God. That's the principle here, that everything belongs to God. And so even though you sell it, it, it doesn't belong to you. And so it belongs to who he says it belongs to. Uh, and so he said every 50 years, it's going back to the original. He insists that it's always returned to those that he initially entrusted it to. And he, uh, but then he allows people to go back and sell and give and sell as they, as they feel they need to. But the focus, focal point is the land belongs to God. And he appoints in place of the people and he restores everything that's lost. In fact, not only does he restore everything that's lost, this is a Jubilee year. The previous year was a Sabbath year. We didn't do any crops. He says here, um, the 50th year shall be a Jubilee for you. Verse 11, do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself 
or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. He is saying that so y'all didn't y'all didn't plant crops in the first year, the Sabbath year. Don't plant crops now either. Be holy. Have a Sabbath or rest for this land, a jubilee for you. Just eat what's on the untended vines. Eat only what's on the untended vines? <laughs> well, yes. Why would he say this? Because he's prophesying provision. He's saying that by following my outline, doing what I've called you to do, what you are doing is establishing a trust with me, not in the land, a trust with me, not in your money, a trust with me, not in your skill. You're trusting me to provide everything you need. And so provision is prophesied. And so that's what we see here in verses eight through 13. And it goes on to explain. And there's some some different some caveats and things that if you continue reading, you'll you'll see yourself. But when I when I look at this text and I think about this and then I go back to Luke chapter four, it becomes clear to me that Jesus came when he said the year of the Lord's favor. It's clear to me that Jesus came to proclaim Jubilee. Can I get an amen? Can I get a 100? Can I get a comment in here that says, yes, something something that shares your excitement, knowing that you know a Jesus that came to proclaim jubilee and jesus didn't just come to proclaim jubilee jesus came to be jubilee jesus came to be jubilee what do i mean well i can't i'm gonna go back and use the same um same phrasing it's a it's not a really acronym but it's a-l-r-p not a-a-r-p but a-l-r-p um jesus came to be jubilee first atonement he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the scapegoat that carries the sins of the people away from the world. He is the lamb that was slain. He is substitutionary atonement. One death of this sinless man for the sins of all mankind, taking the penalty for you and for me and for everybody that's ever sinned, taking the penalty, the brunt of the penalty through his crucifixion, through his obedience unto death. That's atonement. Atonement. He's ato he is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of humankind. And not just there, he is liberty. He, because we're free from sin, because we're free from the penalty of sin and sin itself, we don't have to be slaves to sin. We are free from captivity. No situation can hold us. No situation can keep you down. No situation can keep you in the mindset that you were. No situation can keep you in the sin that you were in. There's not a single situation in this world that can keep you from the love of the living God. Check Romans 8 and just read it and shout about it because that's what it's talking about. You are now in adopted child of the king you are free and those whom the sun sets free are what come on church folks free indeed so liberty then restoration because it talked about returning not just to being free but returning to your homeland restoration and it when i think and i see restoration i'm thinking you know for whatever reason you lost it whatever reason you had to give it away whatever reason um those things that destiny whatever reason your path was messed up whatever whatever reason there is the lord is here jesus proclaims that we are recovering everything the enemy has taken from us 
And I'm not talking about stuff that can be bought with money. Now, God might restore some property. It might look something like what happens here in, in, uh, in Leviticus and what is being instructed. But what I'm talking about is the spiritual purpose because God does everything from the inside out. Like that he gave regulations to these people, but the word teaches that the true word of God is written on our hearts. And so what he's talking about is the inside out work. Whatever's on the inside, joy's been taken away, it's restored. Peace been taken away, it's restored. Your hope has been taken away, it is restored because you serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Jesus came to be Jubilee for restoration. No matter what the enemy has taken from you, in Christ, it can come back. In Christ, I proclaim you restored. In Christ, I proclaim you free indeed. In Christ. And then finally, provision, provision, provision. He provides for you. Again, we're talking from the inside out. I believe that God provides. Yes. You ask, seek, not believe all of that. But what I'm saying is where the Lord challenged Israel, the nation of Israel, to be people that would trust him to just rest and allow him to provide. I am believing in the same way. That what the world didn't give us, the world can't take away. And so the Lord is going to provide. He's providing our dignity as individuals, our dignity as a race, our dignity as mankind, our identity. Your identity is not something, is something the world cannot take away. He's provided you identity. He's provided you anointing. He's provided you a purpose. He's provided you power. He's provided you your heart, your influence, your impact. The shackles are gone. The shackles are gone. The enemy cannot take away what God has provided to you. What is God is providing to you. Jesus paid the full cost, the full cost. He gave it all. We owe nothing. His love meets us in need. His love meets us in our dark place. His love meets us in our foolishness. His love meets us in our pride. His love meets us when we need him and it redeems us pays the full cost for our salvation and redemption. You ever think about that? The full cost paid for. You know, how should we respond? This is the question that comes to mind. How should we respond to such a generous love? A generous love, such a generous love. I have a story about generosity. Yes, I have a story about just joy and wonder and hope and, and I want to share it with you real quickly. So I, you know, I work and uh, serve as a, as a supervisor for a program called 5,000 Role Models of Excellence in Duval County Public Schools. It's a mentoring program for at risk, uh, black boys, brown boys. Of course, any, any boys can join, but, uh, when the Congresswoman founded it, her heart was for the black boys that were struggling, uh, with fatherlessness and, uh, trying to disrupt the prison, school to prison pipeline, all of that. And so I received a text a couple of weeks ago from a colleague in Miami. Um, and he was saying basically the president of a university and, um, the 5,000 role models of excellence founder had been in conversation and realized that um, they had some scholarships available and she was interested, the president of the university was interested in, uh, you know, the opportunity to partner with 5,000 Role Models of Excellence to uh, give them or direct them toward this scholarship. And so they, they, they shared the criteria. We went through and contacted all our high school, uh, our, our house school site directors and members and figured out, well, who fits the categories? We, we created a little spreadsheet, um, you know, a table and, and sent the names off. Okay. 
Um, and so the Congresswoman um, that founded us, Congresswoman Wilson, and the president of the college uh, scheduled a Zoom call for all the kids that qualified, some from Miami, of course, some from Duval, and, um, and their families and had a Zoom call with them and kind of talked about what the opportunity was. And the opportunity was that the president of the college was going to be assigning and offering presidential scholarships. Like she's the president of the, of the university. She's offering presidential scholarships for all, uh, all four years of college. It's going to give scholarship money for all four years of college. And so you may be thinking, well, well, how much money is that worth? Because I know, I know, you know I work with high school students and I'm you know, going to college and trying to figure out, well, how much you going to get? How much you going to have left? How much you going to owe? And so the next day, my colleague sends me a copy of the scholarship offer letter and I read where, you know, where the part that has the amount is just underlined, but there's no dollar figure there. I read the offer letter and it talks about, you know, the stuff that's going to be paid for. And it simply says full cost, all bold letters, full cost, all caps, full cost. And so it didn't matter. It doesn't matter how much they were going to get from somewhere else. It doesn't matter how much scholarship money or how much debt they might have had. It doesn't matter whether they're poor or rich or broke or whatever. It doesn't matter where they came from, single parent, no parent. It doesn't matter what they got. It doesn't matter what they couldn't pay for because it's paid for full cost. Is paid for. They can go to this university for the free room, board, tuition, fees, all of it paid for. They just got to keep their grades right, but it's paid for. Now, how do you think they felt? Getting off that call with the president of the university, a congresswoman, and, and getting that letter in the email, in the mail saying full cost. It's all paid for. Everything you worked for with your children, everything you worked for as the child, as the student, and you wanted to go to college, make your mama proud, do some work, you know, set yourself up for your next career, and you were trying to work it out financially and trying to work it out, how are you going to make it happen? And somebody gives you a letter that says it's paid for full cost. How are you going to feel? How are you going to act? How are you going to shout? I know that some of these parents shouted. I know some, some of these guys already had kind of had plans and they were kind of wrestling with them. But some of these dudes, will, you know, we got a, a, a text message from a parent said, thank you for saving my son's life. Because recognize that when full cost is paid for. That's a life changer. It's a life changer. And this is college we're talking about. But I'm talking about life, eternal life, abundant life. Eternal life, paid for, full cost. How you feel knowing you serve a God whose love leans in so deeply into our mess and our sinfulness and our inadequacy and our brokenness and our brokenness and our frustration and our hurt and our disappointment that he still goes in and at the point and the price of shedding his own blood leans in to pay the penalty that we may be redeemed from all of that. Christ paid the full cost for what? For us to walk in the Lord's favor. Walk in the Lord's favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, to walk in the Lord's favor. And that's got two meanings when I hear it and when I speak it. One, to walk in the Lord's favor. Like God has given us favor so that life can be thought of and, and seen and experienced differently. 
the year of the Lord's favor, a life in, in the Lord's favor, but also walking in the Lord's favor, like action. We are working and living with the power of God and the favor of God to influence other circumstances, to lean in for others, to do a work supernaturally together that other institutions and other people couldn't possibly dream of having the impact that God intends to have through us. Love leans in. Hallelujah. He leans in for us. And as a result, we have access to an overflow of God's favor in us so that it may be pushed out through us, walking together as the body of Christ, coming together for buildings and going out for people doing the work near and far, loving people, serving people, supporting people, blessing people, whether they pretty or ugly, whether they tall or short, whether they rich or poor, walking in the Lord's favor. That's us. That is us. That's us. That's us. That is higher definition church. That is the church. That's the ecclesia. That's the people of God. Jesus came. He was anointed and he came to pronounce Jubilee. And we are walking in the benefit of it. We're walking in the possibility of freedom. We're walking in the possibility of liberty. We're walking in the possibility of sight. We're walking in the possibility of God's provision. So let's walk responsibly, gratefully, humbly, honoring and ecstatically grateful that we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of that Jesus in our own homes and beyond. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you and praise you for today. Thank you and praise you for this opportunity to hear your word to have a refreshed anointing in our hearts and our minds, to, to have that oil pour out over us, to help us recognize that you are here with us, to help us recognize that you are here for us, to help us recognize that your love leans in for us. No matter what our condition, you have come for us. Lord, you haven't come for those that think they're winners. You've come for those that know they can't win without you. And Lord, that's us. And we thank you and we praise you and we glorify your name. And ask you, don't just pour out favor on us. I want to live a life full of your glory. Pour your glory through us. Pour your favor through us. Let us be those that sacrificially give for your purpose. Sacrificially give for your cause. Sacrificially love your people. Made in your image. Designed to be reached by the good news designed to be loved by those that trust in you. Let us be them. Let us be what you designed us to be for who you've designed us to reach. In Jesus name, encourage us, revive us, bless us. All God's people say, amen.